When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead, download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. There is a podcast that is a world unto itself. A podcast as boundless as space and as timeless as infinity. It is the place between light and shadow. Science and superstition. You've entered the fifth dimension. The latest series from the Consequence Podcast Network will open the door into Jordan Peele's new revival of The Twilight Zone. And it will go as far as the limits of the mind itself. Subscribe to the fifth dimension. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. If you're not already a subscriber to this series, uh, take a moment before we get started to hit that subscribe button wherever you're listening from. YouTube, Spotify, or anywhere you get your favorite podcasts from, including iTunes and Apple Podcasts, where you can uh, hopefully give us a rating and leave a review as well. I I would love to hear from you to let me know uh, where you're listening from. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, my guest, Toad the Wet Sprockets. I'll be talking with uh, lead singer Glenn Phillips about the band's 30th anniversary tour. That's the one that they're on right now alongside Big Head Todd and the Monsters. In fact, uh, uh, Big Head Todd, the Monsters, and Toad the Wet Sprocket just did a, a joint song together covering Neil Young's Cinnamon Girl. We'll get into that and then head back to 1989 for the band's debut album, Bread and Circus, and how they found success with a song called One Little Girl. It's a song that is as relevant today as it was when he wrote it, 
for all the most unfortunate reasons, and uh, we'll get into that discussion as well. Then we turn the clocks up to 1994 for an album called Dulcinea. Now, this was right after Toad the Wet Sprocket had found uh, breakthrough fame with that album Fear, you know, the songs All I Want and Walk on the Ocean. It's a record that some called a, a spiritual record. It was an interesting tag for the band since they never considered themselves a, that type of band, as Glenn tells us. We'll also hear from that year about uh, being part of the uh, Kiss tribute album called Kiss My Ass and some fun run-ins uh, with Gene Simmons. After that, it's a very quick drop-in on 1999, uh, right after the band had broken up. They had broken up. They were going to put out a greatest hit, so they went back into the studio to record a couple tracks. We'll get the story on that as well. And then the updates. The last record they put out was uh, a few years ago now, the new Constellation record. Will there be a new album in the future? It's Kyle Meredith with Toad the Wet Sprocket. Hi. First off, I should say, uh, so so we're going to be graced here in Louisville by the uh, the upcoming tour, Toad the Wet Sprockets and Big Head Todd of the Monsters. You guys are going to be playing right next door to us here at the uh, Louisville Palace, and I'm very, very excited about this. What a cool tour, too. Did, uh, d- is this one of those things where managers put you together, or were you guys kind of buddies and, and said, let's do this? How did the tour come about? You know, every few years ago, we end up... Uh, every, every few years ago? <laughs> that's not a real sentence. Uh, every few years, we end up doing some show together and always had a really good time so we toured with them i think last time was maybe five years ago and it's always been a good match i like that you know we're from kind of the same era but we're not at all the same band and so it's just a really good evening for everybody involved and yeah it's always been really cool to play with so we did a show a couple years ago or maybe it was even last year up in salt lake city and just had a good enough time they were like we gotta get everybody make this happen again so here we are well so this time around though and i don't know if you've done this before or not but we we get a song from the both of you and you're covering neil young's cinema girl it just seemed like something fun to do they've been doing a lot of videos in their rehearsal space and just kind of throwing out these one-off singles and the idea came up that yeah we could collaborate on something and they suggested that song and we actually used to play that one live a fair amount so it was an easy song to get together and have some fun with it's a great guitar riff one of my favorites although i I was always frustrated by the original version because right at the end you know they they throw in this extra riff and i'm like man that riff is so awesome it should have been its own song and it it was almost like a toss-off right towards the end Uh what do you do not even fair yeah not even fair well i know this also lines up so with 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 a couple of anniversaries uh for toad the wet sprocket uh this is the 30th anniversary tour right uh yes it is we've been doing this for 30 years now which is just kind of wild to think 89 was uh, when uh, when Bed and Circus came out nationally, and I think I was 18 years old, and first national tour. I, I'd written down the word age here uh, as well because you know you were you were a teenager, you you were a kid basically, but at the same time, those lyrics on Bread and Circus sounds you know old soulish, like ahead of your time sort of way. I, I don't know if you connect to them in the same way. You could say that, or you could say I was I was brooding, <laughs> <laughs> as teenagers do. Uh, yeah. You know, we, yeah, I mean, I always, um, I liked the heady stuff from a pretty early age. You get a different perspective on it as time goes on. I was just thinking yesterday about, you know, even being in a relationship. It's like when you've you've gone through, like, kind of, you know, the process of, like, learning things, losing things that you care about. But there's a certain thing when you're in your 20s where maybe you know who you are, but you haven't been kicked around so much yet. 
So like you can make huge life decisions. You go, yeah, I'll go there. I'll go try that. I'll go, you know, do whatever job, whatever. And as years go on, I find I have to, I don't know, sometimes fight a little more for my bravery, right? Like I still know who I am, but I know the cost of investing. And it's like, well, this might not work out. I've been enjoying that process of like, Learning how weird things can go, but still deciding to kind of take chances anyway. <laughs> Learning how to be young at an older age. I, I, I do that as well from time to time. Yeah, less risk averse, you know, because if you get too risk averse, I mean, that's why people in middle age kind of go to sleep and get sad. It's like you can't let, let life push you off too much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I will say, you know, that, that idea of you sounding older than your years at the time. I, I mean, anybody's voice also changes in 30 years, but your voice sounded older then than it does now. <laughs> it's weird. I had a, some kind of strange, strange, depressive nasal resonance. Heady Topics, One Little Girl, you know, so here's a song that helps you all find success right off the bat, but this song is, I mean, it's still relevant today. You know, what you're talking about there could have been written by any band right now. Yeah, luckily, I mean, what, misogyny is evergreen? Uh, (laughs) I mean, you know, yeah, these subjects aren't going anywhere. I mean, we have a a new wave right now, I think, with, you know, Me Too movement and everything that's kind of come out of that. But uh, looking at those dynamics and how they play out in America still, yeah, sadly, as relevant as it was 30 years ago. How were you relating to that, you know, 30 years ago? Where did that song come from for you? I mean, the exact same places it would come from now. It's, you know, whether it's how things are built into kind of um, abusive relationship dynamics. And I mean, you know, certainly this one is a particular angle as far as gender goes. But I mean, I don't know. It's 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 everywhere. It's, <laughs> so it's hard to, you know, how can I say this, are hard to pinpoint it, except to say if you're like paying attention, it's there to see, right? And so if you're not paying attention, it's not there. So as a 16-year-old, it's just, I don't know, it's more like, what are you deciding to notice? And what are you deciding to value? And I got sensitized to human rights, you know, social justice at kind of an early age. And the most personal and intimate version of it is within relationship. Like, how do we treat the people closest to us and what's normalized in terms of that? And so I think just, you know, you you can look at things at a global and a political level, and there's plenty to talk about there. But there's also just the fact of like, yeah, what's normalized and how people treat the, the very closest people to them. And we got a lot of work to do in that respect. Well, well, thank goodness that you were you were privy to kind of seeing that side of things because musically speaking, you know what where uh, I don't know popular music was at the time. You know, MTV's throwing on Motley Crue <laughs> in everybody's face, and here you all come out of sort of nowhere. You know, playing a type of music that wasn't uh, that, that was still underground types of music, and and able to see past the crap. Yeah, or see a different. I mean, there's always another level. I mean, the good thing for me about the songs, and I, I would have written most of them differently just because that's how time is, but <laughs> I'm still proud of our subject matter. I mean, I feel like we didn't, you know, it's nice to be pushing 50 and not have a bunch of songs about like partying all night because I wouldn't know how to relate to them. And, you know, these songs, yeah, I'm, I'm proud to come back and go like, yeah, I still, still believe in the stuff we were talking about, even if I would have 
phrased a moment or two a little differently. You know, speaking of that scene and you all coming up, in it, and again, it's it's c- completely respectable that you, you know, as, as I read the story, you know, here this is a self-released tape um, that you put out and, and does, you know, eventually find its way to getting you all signed. But it becomes a hit, maybe against all odds uh, at the time again. what Did you find the scene inviting at all, that, the, you know, your, your peer groups around you in any way? Well, we really... I think a really lucky time. I mean, partly in Santa Barbara itself, it's a small enough town that um, you couldn't afford to be too precious about your genre. And so I, I remember when we started, you know, the Red Barn was where all the punk rock bands would play in Isla Vista and near UCSB. And the punk bands would get up and play and there'd be a pit and everybody would be doing that. And then we would get up and play and everybody would sit down cross-legged and listen. And the next band would get up and there'd be hit again and it wasn't like you had to you know be so cool that you could only listen to one type of music or you know it it, i feel like you know we had like bands like this ascension which was much more of a goth thing and we'd be playing shows with them and we'd be everybody just kind of supported each other in the town and so it was this very diverse but very supportive music scene that we came from and then when we got on the label i mean we didn't really have a single that was successful until all i want Mm -hmm. but it was a time when radio was being deregulated when there were a lot of i don't know just new ways of getting the music out there and at the same time the labels were full of cash because of the compact discs and you know this was pre-napster world like they still made money so they were willing to take time with us that i don't know if they would have given to another band where we didn't have to have it we were cheap number one and So we didn't have to have like a hit single right away and we got to kind of develop ourselves. And when we did get played on the radio, we got played on like five different formats because things had just been re-regulated. So we lucked out uh, for a lot of things as far as timing went to just have an opportunity to build things a little more slowly and got really lucky. So so fast forwarding a little bit then to 94, you know, so now that you have had the hits and and you're putting out the uh, the Dulcinea record there in, in 94 with its 25th anniversary now, did you still mm-hmm. feel like that? Was that culture still nurturing to you in that same way? Yeah, up till that point, uh, the label, even though we'd had some singles, they we made another cheap album and they basically let us do what we wanted to. <laughs> and so we managed to make Dulcinea without having a lot of commercial pressure on us. It was really lucky. We, yeah. we somehow managed to, to do it right. <laughs> <laughs> and it has been called a bit of a, a harder rocking or, or maybe a darker sounding record. I, I didn't know if that was just the, um, you know, the sound of the day. I mean, obviously, grunge at its peak and, you know, uh, modern rock for whatever version that. that is. Yeah, I think the thing is, when we went in and we made Fear, I, you know, the records I was really in love with at that time were, you know, things like Talk Talk or Peter Gabriel or, you know, Songs from the Big Chair by uh, Tears for Fears. Like, I liked I liked really big, lush production. And so when we went in to make Fear, was wanting to make a, a really big record because uh, who knows if we'd ever get to do it again. And when we did Dulcinea, you know, we played i think 300 shows for the fair tour so we came back in and felt like we were finally the live band that we would always hoped we'd be and we wanted to make a record that would sound exactly like something we could do live so instead of lots of extra production and overdubs we just went in and you know it was two guitars bass drums and you know hired hand keyboard player and that was it and 
So that tougher sound, I guess, is much more a reflection, I think, of just uh, what we learned by playing live and, and what we wanted to kind of, yeah, pull off on that record. I remember it's always being a thing back then. It was always notable uh, or, or at least uh, commented on uh, if a band wrote about any kind of spirituality and, and for a record that has that, especially booking in, bookending it, you know, with the... Uh, fly from heaven and, and reincarnation was uh-huh. it was it more of a spiritual record for you and was that a thing that was thrown back at you at any points um it's always been around you know that's once again the stuff i'm interested in in those years i was reading like a lot of eileen pagels and kind of more religious history than actual philosophy but was really curious about the gnostics and early christianity just because christianity is so much the you know underlying language of western society but it's also something i grew up outside of uh you know i had a bar mitzvah was raised as a you know in in reform judaism but at the same time my father was giving me books on sufism and the Tao Te ching and taking me to buddhist meditation courses so i had <laughs> a very california upbringing <laughs> so i had a, a very low you know not a lot in the way of like dogma or axiomatic belief like right not being told like this is the one one truth but this idea of kind of religion and spirituality is a you know is a, a language and a set of tools to talk about you know to talk about spirit and the kind of you know it, it just it, so it's very much in my world but never in a way of uh saying you know this is how the universe works <laughs> So yeah, that's there. So it was strange because I think if you if you use that and if you use especially biblical imagery, which once again, like that's our understand uh, our, our understood myth. If I were to talk about Persephone, you know, most people would have to look it up, right? And because <laughs> it's cool, you could do a great relationship song. You know, the fact that like Persephone and Hades are like the only couple in in that you know, particular pantheon that never messed around on each other. So why would that be? <laughs> like, you know, it's fun stuff to talk about, but it's like if you use a biblical image, everybody knows what you mean mm-hmm. and they understand that metaphor. So a lot of people assumed, I think, that we were a Christian band, which was always interesting for me, but which also led to a lot of amazing conversations. And for that part, I'm really grateful. I mean, especially in this era right now where there's kind of so much intensity of, you know, left wing, right wing, you know, the the art of conversation is uh, slowly being lost. (laughs) Right. Uh, And so to be able to to have people who kind of thought I was in their club and then they find out I'm not, and then we end up, that that ends up being like the beginning of really amazing conversations. So I'm grateful for it. Fall Down uh, ended up in an episode of My So-Called Life, which uh, (laughs) puts that in an era of its own inside of an era of its own, uh, I think, which I find really fun. Mm -hmm. But also, um, that was the same year you guys were part of a a Kiss tribute. The uh, the Kiss My Ass tribute came out that year. And, Mm -hmm. I mean, 
Do you have any good kiss stories? Were you able to uh, to meet the fellas at that point? Because it seems like everybody's got oh, some kind of kiss story. When we were rehearsing, he was showing our bass player a bunch of magic tricks. And was, you know, the thing with that song, it was, you know, we decided, well, if we're going to do rock and roll all night, we have to make, you know, it was an opportunity to mock ourselves because at that time there was so much emphasis in the grunge era on being as, I don't know, being as edgy as possible and kind of an attitude that if you weren't edgy, then you didn't have any depth. <laughs> and so, um, and we were counter to that. And so we knew the Kiss fans would be upset about us being on the tribute anyway. And so we may as well give them something that is was hilarious. So the, the whole thing of doing that song as if it were a, uh, like a campfire song at a Young Life camp, <laughs> that, was, that was the idea. It's like, let's turn it into a waltz and let's do it with acoustic guitar like like, let's just have as much fun with it as possible. And the great thing about that was Gene Simmons apparently loved it. Uh, and uh, Kiss fans apparently hated it. <laughs> well, it plays so well into what you were just talking about and people's perception of you versus, you know, what you might have really been. And then and then here you are just holding that mirror straight up to them. That's beautiful. I know I can't beat them, Jordan. I'll finish our, our tour of the past here um, only because, uh, you know, you did also do something in 99, which makes the 20th anniversary of the, of the hits collection with PS and and that's when you uh, you brought back that song uh, originally one of your earliest songs what was it like revisiting that one at that point 10 years later or whatever it was fun to bring it back I mean it's even that was kind of a while ago now so I think it was one of the last recording bits we did I'm trying to remember where we went in it, was there a song called Eyes Open Wide on that too yeah, yeah those are like the last two things we recorded before you know I think we'd already actually broken up decided it was done and we just went in quick and did those two songs and you know it was it was good to kind of bring yeah it was like one of our very first songs ever and revisit it and kind of wave goodbye for a few years it's interesting to uh it's rare to hear a band do that i mean it's happened before but but to do the songs right after you've broken up like I don't know. Did did, did did things have a different feeling when you were in the studio at that point? I imagine they did. I don't remember too much about the sessions, actually. <laughs> I hadn't been thinking about them. So just done and I out. Mean, they were easy enough to do that it's like, oh, we probably could have got a record together again. And we may have too, too casually thrown away the opportunity of this band. But, you know, live and learn. Well, it eventually does come back around, in, and we enjoyed the reunion record so much with New Constellation. I remember you all stopping in here and actually doing a performance in our studio. And other than an EP that followed that, that was the most recent. Where is the news of, the, does the, of that lie at this point? Who knows? I mean, right now we're just kind of doing this tour and getting through the summer, and then we'll see what happens see what happens in the future but there's no solid plans yet aside from to do like the occasional single yeah so but we'll see well we certainly love what you all do i have loved what you've done since i think i came in i was trying to think of maybe when the first time i would have heard uh to the wet sprocket and it was probably hearing fear but during the dulcinea era mm. and that and mm-hmm. and you've meant so much to me ever since then so i i, I really appreciate okay. everything that you've done Thanks so much. Glenn, it was a pleasure talking to you. And again, uh, you guys are going to be here in Louisville June 19th with Big Head Todd of the Monsters, and I'm looking forward to it. Me too. All right, man. Thanks a lot. I will see you out there. All right. Take care. All right. Bye. Big O thanks to Glenn Phillips of Toad the Wet Sprocket. 
Getting the 30th anniversary of Bread and Circus, the 25th anniversary of Dulcinea, 20th anniversary of P.S., a Toad Retrospective, their most recent album, 2013's New Constellation. I hope we get something new. I hope. Hey, before you get out of here, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, too. Uh, again, you can subscribe to us anywhere you get your favorite podcasts, including iTunes and Apple Podcasts. Or, again, please, uh, if you're there and you've listened this far, give us a rating, uh, leave a review. Uh, tell me where you're listening from and how you enjoy the series. We put out episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a good reason to subscribe. And you can also do so on YouTube or Spotify. After that, head to WFPK.org, where I do a show every single weekday. Consequenceofsound.net has your music and film news, and you can find me at Twitter at Kyle Meredith and Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. And that does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.